You're listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. In this week's sermon, Lee Cadden begins our sermon series on Jonah, the mystery of God's mercy. Welcome to Grace Auburn, especially as Matt said, if today is your first time. My name is Lee. I'm also one of our pastors here, and I am incredibly excited about the month of July. We are going to be journeying through... God's story of goodness and salvation through Jonah. And so if you have your Bible and you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. Uh, The title or the subtitle to this series, as you see on the screen, is The Mystery of Mercy. And the the title comes from a book that Tim Keller has recently written after decades of having preached through uh, Jonah in various capacities. And I thought, man, there is no better or fitting explanation of what God does for the Ninevites and for the people that the the book of Jonah talks about. So if you're looking for Jonah, that's totally okay. Um, It is somewhere near the middle of your Bible. If you find the prophet Hosea or Obadiah or any of those kind of right in the middle, just go back a few more books uh, and then Jonah kind of finds itself uh, surrounded by Amos and Micah. Um, The story of Jonah is typified typically in our childhood by uh, this unwanting or unsuspecting person being swallowed by a whale, or what we assumed to be a whale when we were children. And regardless of whether we're going to get into that conversation, which we're not, by the way, I don't have an answer for you as to what that is or what that was in that day. What we do know is that it was not normal that a large fish would swallow a person whole and then live to talk about it or tell the story, which we know to be true for Jonah. But the book of Jonah starts very unassumingly, and it starts simply by saying, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Am. There's no real explanation. There's no real background on who Jonah was. What we do know, though, is if that was the case, then it's assumed by the author, which could have been, by the way, could have been Jonah himself, but it's assumed that this person didn't need any introduction for the people who would have been hearing of this story. And for them, they would have heard a story of God's goodness, of God's mercy, of God's grace, and less a story about A person, or even less a story about that person being swallowed by a fish, which did in fact happen. So I want to just clear the air by saying that we know and believe the story and the events of what happened to Jonah to be true. There's nothing in the story that says we should read this as allegory or as a a, a fairy tale, but that this was in fact history and was reality and in this man's life. And so the, the events of this story, I think, speak incredibly well to us Today And so we're going to spend four weeks journeying through four chapters together. And so tonight, uh, with all of us in the room, it's totally okay if anybody decides to talk back to me, um, whether that be a five-year-old or you be a 50-year-old and you decide you want to talk back to me. That's totally okay as well. Um, but our story, our journeying through Jonah is going to wrap around this idea that God's mercy, the things that God does, the things that come about the way that only God could ordain, that they are in some ways and oftentimes a mystery on the receiving end of those things, but God in his goodness is not dumbfounded. He's not caught off guard. He's not even surprised by the events of the things that would happen to Jonah and eventually to the Ninevites. And so it's a story of understanding that in following God, that there are simply things that happen and at times in our life, things unfold in ways that we don't get to explain. We don't get to understand totally. So if this story is about a man named Jonah, and if it starts off very unassumingly in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, with this is the word of the Lord that came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, the good news is we have a little bit of backstory in 2 Kings 14. You don't have to turn there. What it talks about in 2 Kings 14 is that there were three different prophets of known credibility in that day who were prophesying during the reign of King Jeroboam II. 
Hosea and Amos were both prophesying against the injustice and against the unfaithfulness of Jeroboam II. And there was one prophet who was totally gung-ho and for everything the king was doing militarily around the world in terms of expanding Israel's borders, and that was Jonah. If we read much of First and Second Kings, we see story after story after story of faithless king who lost this or who brought this people into the, the people of God and then their gods led them astray. And Jeroboam was no different. And so you have two prophets who are criticizing the king and you have Jonah, the main character of our story that we're going to be discussing over the next few weeks as someone who was totally for all that King Jeroboam was doing. So the word comes to him in verse 1 and says, or in verse 2 says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness, because its wickedness has come up before me. The word is to go and preach to Nineveh, and the message is very simple. Repent and be saved, don't and perish. Now the backstory here is that Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and they had been long-term enemies of the people of Israel, and you can go and study at length ad nauseum all that the people of Nineveh were known for when it came to attacking their enemies and bringing captives home. But let's just leave it at, at this for this room today, that it was not very pleasant. And so when Jonah hears that Israel's single greatest enemy at that point has been called, or that he has been called by the Lord to go and preach a gospel or a message of repentance so that they would not perish. If you're Jonah and you're all about Israel and you're all against Israel's enemies, you hear that word and you're like, mm, yeah, I don't know. We don't get that dialogue in, in, in the text, right? But if, if you know everything that there was going on between these two nations at that time, you would know and believe that Jonah heard that, and he goes, okay, there is a 0% chance of success, and there is a 100% chance of death. So I'm going to do what every normal, sane person would do and not do the thing that you've asked me to do and take off running in the opposite direction. So that's exactly what Jonah does. He runs in the opposite direction. So verse 3 says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now Tarshish is... Um, a little bit of a mythological place. It's kind of hard to identify exactly where it is, but most scholars believe that if you're at Joppa on the Mediterranean Sea, due east is Nineveh. Due west, 180 degrees on the opposite end of the Mediterranean in what was likely to be a resort community on the far western end, kind of in the Gibraltar area of modern-day Spain, that that would have been where Tarshish was. And so he's like, okay, you said go this way. If I can get as far away as possible, I'm going that direction. So, jo so Jonah goes down to the port. He buys a fare, and he says, you know what? This makes absolutely no sense. And so he runs in the opposite direction. For Jonah, he hears a call to go and preach a message of repentance to the enemies of God. And for him in that moment, he could see no good reason as to why God would have him go and do that. And so Jonah does what all of us do when we don't understand why God would ask us to do something or say something to us. We start rationalizing it. And if we can't find or see a good reason in the thing that God has asked us to do, then we assume that there is, in fact, no good reason for the thing that God has asked us to do. And so Jonah has a massive issue here, and at the bottom of it is an incredibly large, I mean massive, overwhelming mistrust of who God is and what God intended to do. In that moment, Jonah is essentially saying, no, 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 no. 
I know what's best. And it's not for the Ninevites to hear of your mercy and your goodness. That you as a good God couldn't be merciful to my enemies. That's essentially what Jonah is saying here in this moment. He doubts the goodness. He doubts the wisdom. He doubts the mercy. He doubts the, the, the whole plan of God in his life and in the enemies of Israel's life. And he has this incredible moment where he could choose to be obedient and go, and he doesn't, and he runs from the Lord. Now, for the bulk of our series, we're going to talk about the two different types of running. Because when it comes to following the Lord, there's really only two ways to run from him. And I believe that at some point in our life, all of us decide, you know, I don't think so. This is better. And we do it in small ways and we do it in big ways. And Jonah embodies both of those ways. And Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 15 of two lost sons. And we tend to know it as the tale or the, the story of the prodigal son. When in reality, both of those sons were lost. And both of those sons ran from the Lord in completely different ways. And in chapter 1 and 2 of Jonah, Jonah runs from the Lord much the same way that the younger son does in the story of the lost sons. Who tells his father, listen, you... You might think you know what's best for me, but go ahead and give me all of my inheritance so that I can determine what's best for me. And that's exactly what Jonah's doing here. And he's completely disobeying and completely running from the Lord in a way that says, nope, I want nothing to do with you. I'm out of here. It's my way, not yours. I'm gone. And Jonah runs from him just as the younger son does. And then there's the less obvious, and if I'm being honest, more typical in my own life, type of running that the older son in the story that Jesus tells embodies where the son says, okay, fine, I'll do whatever you say, I'll do all the things that you would have me do, but if I do these things, then you will do fill in the blank. This type of running from the Lord is, what, is where Jonah's going to land. I'm just going to go ahead and give you a little bit of a, of, a, of a look into the future of Jonah's story here. Is that it's, a, it's in its own way a means of controlling the outcome. And we'll talk about tonight over several verses in chapter 1 that Jonah is continually trying to control the outcome or manipulate God or negotiate with him for what he thinks is best and right. And the older son in the tale of the lost sons, tells the father after the younger son finally comes home and repents of all of his misgivings and of all of his wandering and against all of his just flat-out disobedience of the father. The older son says, you never did any of these things for me. You never threw this kind of party for me. And the father says, don't you know that everything I've ever always had has always been yours? You see, the younger son wanted what the father had and the older son wanted what the father had. They just went about running from him and controlling the situation in two completely different ways. And Jonah is going to do the same thing. In chapters 1 and 2, he's running from the Lord. Well, in chapter 2, he's not so much running anymore. And then in verse, chapters 3 and 4, he kind of makes this turn where he says, okay, I'm going to do these things, but... And all of us know that feeling, right, where we've been in prayer, or we've been in conversation, or we've been reading Scripture, and we go, okay, that, that may be true, but here's the thing that I want. Or here's the thing that I deserve, which is a terrible word to use in prayer, right? Like, false, not true. You don't. <laughs> None of us do, right? 
but all of us have a tendency to run from the Lord. And I just want us to just kind of clear the air by saying one of us or all of us in some way or another in different seasons of our life have a tendency to run from the Lord in both of these ways. We just have a tendency to land in one more than the other, I believe. And so the story goes on in verse 4. So he buys this fare, he gets on board, and they sail for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then in verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, and all the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God, and maybe he will take notice of us. And we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Verse 4 says that the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. The ESV uses the word hurled. This is not like hurled, but like hurled. This is the same word that is recorded in the Old Testament when a warrior would hurl a spear or when King Saul was trying to kill King David, eventually King David, he hurls a spear across the room at him. Now, this was no accident in this moment, but the wind, the storm was in fact the means by which the Lord was going to continue to intervene in Jonah's life. The storm obviously is because of Jonah's disobedience. We get that as we read it. We know what's going on. We know that it's not an ordinary wind. And I want to say this tonight because I think there's a, there's a misconception when it comes to sin and when it comes to storms in our life. We tend to have it backwards. We tend to think that if there's a storm in our life or if there's something going on that I can't control or if there's this broken thing that I can't fix or undo, then it must be because of some unconfessed sin in my life. And I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just saying that that's absolutely not always true. But I am also saying that all sin brings storms. That not every storm in your life is because of something you've done. But when we do stray from the Lord, He will always bring some sort of storm, whether that be internal or that be external. And we live in a world where because of sin, we know what storms look like, right? And we happen to live in a place where, regardless of where you live around the world, where because of sin in the world, there is much brokenness. There are many storms that we have no control of. And God, even in his goodness in this story, is going to use the storm that was brought about because of Jonah's sin for the good of those who love him. And it's incredible to think about God in his goodness brings storms as means of correction. He hurls them at us oftentimes when we are running from him to grab our attention. But I want you to hear me abundantly say that the storm in your life might not be because of your sin, but it is because of sin. Whether we just live, whether it be because we live in a broken and fallen world or it be because we find ourselves surrounded by someone who may be the product of that sin, but the Lord in his goodness, as written by Paul in Romans chapter 8, promises to work all things, right? This is Romans 8, 28. He promises to work all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so the promise for those of us on this side of Easter is that Jesus defeated the grave and he has given us life and he has placed his spirit in us. And so regardless of the storm, whether it be of our own doing or just because we find ourselves in a lost and broken world, the promise is that even this, even this brokenness, can be used by God for his glory and my, God and my good. The sailors 
are a perfect example of this in chapter 1. They find themselves caught in Jonah's storm. Not anything that they had done directly in this moment, though you could make the argument that because they worship pagan gods that they would have been just as deserving of this storm. But this storm in particular was because of Jonah's sin and disobedience. And they all panic, right? Which they should have, right? Because this isn't just a normal storm. This isn't just, you know, your average, let's get across this, let's get around this, you know, small blip on the radar, so to speak. They don't have radars. But you know what I mean? Like, there's this complete understanding for them in that moment that this is not a normal thing. At the end of that section in verse 7, it says, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. These guys are seasoned sailors. Had it been a normal storm, they'd have just went to work like they always did. But they are absolutely panicking because this is not a normal storm. They know and believe that this thing is supernatural, that it was hurled upon them by some God And so they're praying to theirs, and they go to find Jonah because they don't know this guy, and they know he's not from where they're from. And they ask him, oh, my goodness, how could you be asleep? What are you doing? Call out to your God. Pray to him. Maybe he'll hear us. Maybe we won't all end up dead at the bottom of this ocean because of whatever's going on. But Jonah is in the bottom of the boat sleeping what has often been called the sleep of sorrow. That moment where once we finally realize or once we finally get alone with ourselves after disobeying and running from the Lord, where we just kind of want to escape reality. I think we all know that feeling, that misunderstanding of reality of, okay, now that I've done this thing, I just kind of want everything to go away. I just kind of want to drown this out. And we kind of tend to, to heap things in on our life that tend to just amplify that or deaden and dull it. But the promise of God, the goodness of God says, no, 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 no. If you would recognize and believe that light has shined on you and now because of what Christ has accomplished in your life, believe that you can walk in light regardless of the thing, regardless of the sin, regardless of the storm, regardless of the pain and brokenness. And Paul writes it perfectly when he says, for it is light that makes everything visible. And this is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. You see, Jonah, along with every other Israelite of his day, was looking and longing for the day that the Christ would come, that he would finally set free the people of Israel and the people of God worldwide, though they misunderstood that at this point, especially if your name is Jonah, that the Christ would cast light on all that was darkness and that the people of God would walk in light so that the world around them would see their good deeds and glorify their Father in heaven. And so what the sailors don't know in this moment is they're exclaiming and proclaiming to Jonah. They're actually preaching the gospel to him. Wake up and call upon your God. And that's exactly what the good news calls and asks us to do today. Is to wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ's light will shine on you. They cast lots in the boat, which is really just a fancy way of just kind of throwing a bunch of dice and figuring out if they can figure out who was going who is responsible for this thing and the lot falls to Jonah and in verse 8 they begin to ask him questions tell us who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us what do you do where do you come from what is your country from what people are you and he answered I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the land and this terrified them and they asked what have you done for they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? 
What's important to note about this section is that the, the, the sailors ask a series of questions in a particular order. They start with, who's responsible for this? And you could read that by which one of us on the boat is responsible for this. But in reality, they're asking the question, where did this thing come from? Like, what God of this sea or, or whatever, what God is responsible for this thing? And then, who are you and where do you come from and what do you do and of what people are you? For them, in that day, they're essentially asking Jonah, who do you trust the most? Like, Jonah, if the lot has now fallen to you, and it clearly has, then, then cry out to whomever it is that you believe could save us from this incredibly disastrous storm because we're all going to die if nothing happens. Essentially, Jonah, who do you trust to get us out of this? And Jonah's response is incredibly telling. They ask, who do you trust to save us from this? Who's responsible for this incredible storm? And he says, I am a Hebrew. But in this moment, being a good Hebrew wasn't going to save him. In this moment, his nationality, who he was, is how he answers the question. They ask, who's responsible for this? And in descending order, where, do you, where are you from? What do you do? Do you know anything about this? What people are you? And he flips the order and says, no, I'm a Hebrew, and I serve the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He gets the answer backwards. For Jonah, his nationality is more important than his allegiance to God. Where he's from is more important than the God that he serves. And how we today answer this question is just as important for us as it was for Jonah. What do you trust or whom do you trust most when the storms of life come? Is it the fact that you are of this nationality or is it the fact that you are of another place entirely? As believers, is it that we are at first American, if you are in fact American, or is it I am a child of the living God, of the King of kings and Lord of lords? Because how we answer that question, just as it did for Jonah, that indicates and tells us immediately in the world around us who we trust most, who we love first, who holds the highest place of honor in our life. And that's incredibly important for us as we think about the goodness of God coming into our life because of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are now no longer first American. We are now, because of the work of Christ, first born of another country, born of another city whose streets will not perish and will not fade away. Our inheritance is now not wrapped up in this world. Our identity is now not first who we are in this world, but whose we are in another world. And Jonah had completely forgotten that. And so when he answers their questions, it seems innocent at first, but no, he answers in a very telling way that it is me as a good Hebrew that I believe can save me. And in this moment, he knows and believes, as do the sailors, that there's nothing about who you are that's going to save you, but everything about who God is that's going to save you. And Jonah misses it, and my hope and my prayer for us is that we would not miss it because Jonah ran from God because he loved being a Hebrew more than he loved God. And I think the same is true for us, right? You can look at every single time you walk away from the Lord or every single time you slip or every single single time you end up back in an old pattern. It's because in that moment, you love the thing more than you love God. 
We love the comfort. We love the applause. We love the double taps on Instagram. We love the number of likes. We love all of those things and what people think about us oftentimes more than we do about what God says about us. And I'm saying that completely open and completely barefaced to you that that's me. That I often care more about what you think about me than I do about what God says and how I should live my life. And I think that's true for all of us. It was certainly true for Jonah in that moment. Jonah essentially has two problems. And they're bigger, bigger than any political disagreement that he might have had with God in that day. He has one that's a theological problem. Like his understanding of the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the justice of God are completely wrong. He doesn't understand how a God who is just, the, the one who would have vengeance on his enemies, how that God could also be merciful to a people who are completely undeserving, especially as undeserving as the enemies of God, and especially the worst of our enemies at Nineveh. So he has a theological problem about who God is, and all that means is that he has a, a misunderstanding of who God is and what his word actually says about his faithfulness and his goodness. That's his first problem. His second problem is that he doesn't care. So he's got a theological problem and a heart issue, a heart problem. He doesn't care that God has said, go and do this thing. And it doesn't matter that you can't understand it. It doesn't matter that you can't see the end. It doesn't matter that you don't know how they're going to respond. What matters is that I said, go, and am I more important than what you think is best and right, even when you can't see the other side of it, even when you can't understand how I could do this thing. He has an incredible heart issue to where he loves himself more than he loves the Lord and who and what the Lord loves. And so Jonah responds to the sailors when they ask him, okay, what are we supposed to do with you now that we know this is your fault and we've never seen anything like this where like it literally feels like we're fighting the ocean in this moment. And in verse 12, he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice for the Lord to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. It's not perfectly clear here as to whether Jonah actually cares or if he's still trying to control the situation. We don't get any message or any language of repentance that's not yet part of Jonah's story of coming home from his running. But he at least begins to acknowledge that, okay, this is my fault. This storm has come upon you because of what I have done. He's not even addressing the Lord yet, right? Like he's just talking to them. He's completely shutting out what God may be saying. And so in a moment of what I believe is him trying to control the situation, even though he recognizes that he has no control over the storm, he tries to control his own end and his own destiny by being thrown into the ocean. And so he tells them, throw me into the sea and after much arguing and much trying to go other ways, they finally do that. Jonah has been running from the Lord this whole time at the very bottom of it because he thinks that he knows better than God. And he can't understand how God would want to save and love a people that are as unlovable and unlovely as the people 
of Nineveh. God's mercy and justice for him are at odds, and he can't make sense of it. And he says, no, there's no way this can't be right. If I can't understand it, then it can't be the right path. It can't be the thing for me to do. It makes no sense. And he ends up in a fish's stomach because of it. The sailors, in verse 14, proclaim to God, you, O Lord, have done as you please. And there's been argument that says that these sailors didn't really know what they were doing or saying, but they use the covenant name Yahweh when they cry out to God. This is the name that was given to the people of Israel for their covenant relationship with God. So in this moment, these pagan sailors who are from the Western Mediterranean who know nothing about the Lord and his goodness to Israel, they have no idea that all they know is that he is responsible for this thing, and now this thing has stopped. This storm has completely ceased from raging, and they worship him on their boat as the sea grows calm. You see, the Lord called Jonah to go, and he ran. He called him to preach a message of repentance that a whole nation, hundreds of thousands of people, might come to salvation. Jonah says, no way, and in the midst of his disobedience, the Lord saves a pagan people on a boat. The very people that Jonah was trying not to save regardless of his inability to even control his own end, God still continues to bring people to salvation. Now, I say that tonight to say that it is absolutely our responsibility and our privilege and our great joy to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with any and everyone who might listen and see that gospel at work in our own lives. But I am also here to say to you tonight that God saves people. And then in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your imperfect life, God will continue to bring people to salvation even when we run from him. And so I say that as good news for those of us who run. As good news for those of us who have chosen to say, I don't understand how you're going to do this, so I'm just going to go do my own thing. And we may do that in small ways or in massive Ways. And I believe that as long as we're still breathing on this earth, we're going to continue to do that because our old man continues to fight for oxygen. And it is our privilege and responsibility to say yes to the goodness of God, to say yes to the things that he would have us do, to say yes to our neighbor, to say yes to our uncomfortable sweet mate, to say yes to the person across the hall who we just can't stand their music and we just wish they'd move or get evicted. Like all of those things, right? Like in those moments, it is our obedience to say Hey, um, so if we could talk about the music while we're talking about um, the goodness of God, I'd like to share with you about what he has done in my life. You see, God's mercy will always be a mystery. It was for Jonah. It was for the Ninevites. And the mystery of his mercy is just as pertinent for Jonah as it was for a people who were completely bent on worshiping their own sets of rules as the Ninevites or as these sailors on the back of that boat. The mystery is that we don't get to understand oftentimes why God does what he does. There's an old saying that goes like this, that what God is going to do, he will do. What God is going to do, he will do. In his mercy, in his faithfulness and in his goodness, his mercy extends to you and to me, completely undeserving of it the first time we recognize it and every day thereafter. 
Because if a prophet of the people of God was, was, had the, the capacity and the ability to be so blind to the needs of the people around him, then we are all just as capable of becoming that blind to the needs of the people around us. And the cry, the call, the command is, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you and through you. For you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I'm also here to say tonight that if you're considering what Christ has done, if you're thinking about his goodness, let me just say this, that a God who would send his son to pay for your sins, who would live the life that you should have lived and die the death that you should have died so that you might live the life that only he could give, if that God is willing to substitute his son for me, then I can promise you this, he's absolutely worth trusting. He's absolutely worth following with all of your life. He's absolutely worth abandoning anything and everything else that promises hope and a future and salvation. He is absolutely worth trusting regardless of the circumstances and the storm, regardless of where you've been. It is not too late, and you are never too far to be saved by the love of God, to be known by this king. I am here tonight to say that we can and should trust him with all of our lives. Whether we've been walking with him for 50 years or we're considering what that even means when you start talking about walking with a God that I can't see, let me just say that a God who would substitute his son for you is worth trusting. And Jonah missed it in this moment. And he thought that he can control the end of his life by having these men throw him overboard. And God swallowed him with a fish. So if you think about just how far God can go and has gone, it could be worse. You could be swallowed by a fish. Um, right? But in his goodness, in his mercy, we don't get swallowed by fish today, oftentimes. Um, but what we do have is a promise and a savior who says, I've laid, my, laid down my life for you that you might have life. And my hope and my prayer is that we would walk out of here tonight believing God in his goodness, that we would respond to him in obedience, that we would go wherever it is that he's called us to go, that we would say whatever it is that he's called us to say, even if that's just, hello, my name's Lee. It's so good to meet you. That could be the start of a conversation and a friendship that leads a person to repentance and to salvation. But I want you to hear me say again tonight that it is God who saves and it is ours to just say, yes, God, where would you have me go? And so my question tonight for us as we leave this place and as we enter into a time of communion of remembering what Christ has accomplished for us, uh, it's really just two questions. Where are you running from him? Because I believe we all have a tendency to run. Where are you running from him? And then do you trust him? to bank all of your life on what he would have you do and where he would have you go. Where are you running from him and do you trust him? Will you pray with me? We're so glad you listened to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about ways you can partner with the mission of Grace Auburn Church, visit our website, graceauburn.church.